Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In book one of his work on anger, one of the arguments that Seneca is going to take on directly appears to be coming from the Aristotelians, but there's plenty of other people who are probably making this in ancient times as well. And the idea is that anger, although not something necessarily good or natural, does provide us with resources, with energy that we need. And so it can be looked at as a useful thing, right, as perhaps an ally to reason or to virtue, so that without anger, you can't really accomplish what you need to. And there are a number of arguments that he's going to very briefly present that we could unpack a little bit for anger as a useful ally or adjunct, something that's helpful, ad sumenda, right, in this case. So the first one that he considers is that it raises our spirits and spurs us on, right? So it helps to get us riled up. It helps to motivate us. That's an important function of anger for many people. You can go to the gym and you get angry at the weights or at the track or at whatever. And then you've got that extra burst of energy to get something accomplished, right? Or somebody tells you, oh, you're no good. And you're like, well, I'll show them, you know, and then you rise to the occasion. So that's one way that people do, in fact, understand and depict anger. I mean, we see this in a lot of TV shows and movies and stuff like that. Then he goes on a little bit further and he's going to tie it in with the virtue of courage. So he says that without it, courage accomplishes nothing splendid in warfare. It needs that flame set to the kindling, that goad to stir the bold and get them to do, you know, what they need to do to send them into harm's way. Now, this is a little bit of a funny way to construe things, right? Because if you have the virtue of courage, won't you already be doing those sorts of things? Well, some people, I guess, in ancient times, and I think there's plenty of people in present, often confuse anger and courage. Aristotle even talks about this in Nicomachean Ethics, book three, that thumos uh, is not really courage, although people can be motivated by that, as can animals as well. Here, the argument is that courage by itself isn't going to be entirely effective without the addition, the help of anger. And he says that's the reason some people think it's best to control anger, to temperate it, right? To bring it within certain bounds. This is completely Aristotle's position when it comes to the virtue of what he calls mildness, prautes, or good temper. And now this is not actually Aristotle's position that we need anger in order to do courageous things, but perhaps there's Aristotelians out there or perhaps this is in an Aristotelian text that Seneca has access to that we no longer have. And so he says it's best to control anger, not to do away with it. Who wants to do away with it? The Stoics, Seneca, right? 
actually some other people as well, like Cicero. And he says we can reduce it to what he calls a healthy means, salutarum modem. Okay, well, this is very explicitly an Aristotelian idea there. The mean as the virtuous position, the, the good position. We strip away the excess, retain the element that prevents action from turning feeble and the mind's vivid energy from being sapped. Okay, so we've got a position here that's pretty clear. Anger can, in fact, be useful. As a matter of fact, you might even not just find it useful, but even necessary if you want to do the sorts of things that courage requires. Stoics, just like Aristotelians, think that courage is one of the most important of the virtues. Uh, the Stoics actually make it a cardinal or primary virtue. Now, Seneca says this is not a good line of reasoning. Why not? And he, he's going to give you several different considerations. The first is, as he says, it's easier to keep harmful agents out than to control them once you let them in. So the idea is that this stems from the stoic anthropology or understanding of human nature. There isn't a rational part that's totally separate from the passions or emotions as there is in Platonism or Aristotelianism. For the stoic, the rational part is also the part in which we feel the passions. So you start letting them in and they're going to screw things up. Once you start admitting anger as a helper, it's actually going to start taking over. Like, you know, some friend who always makes everything about them, right? You could say, so he says, don't admit them because then it's much more difficult to direct and control them once they've been admitted. Once they've taken up tendency, they're more powerful than the one who would rule them and they tolerate no cutbacks or diminution. So what this is saying is, is you can't really control anger once you let it in. There isn't a Aristotelian proper mean for anger. Let that passion in and everything goes, goes haywire. And you're probably actually going to think that you are controlling it when you're not controlling because anger is going to lie to you as well. So that's the first thing that he says. The second, which is very similar to it, he says, in the second place, reason itself, which is entrusted with the reins, right? Reins are how you guide a horse. And so, you know, reason is supposed to be riding the horse. The horse could be anything you like, the passions. Reason should be in charge. It's in control only so long as it's kept, as he says, separate from the passions. So once again, don't let the passions in. Once it is mingled with them and become polluted, it cannot keep them in check, though it could have kept them out. Thought, once it has been shaken and dislodged from its proper footing, becomes the slave of the thing that pushes it along. So if you're going to let anger in, anger is going to run the show. Reason is going to be doing anger's bidding, not the other way around. These are very similar points that he's making. And he, he goes on with this and he's got a nice image. So he says, certain things are within our control at first, whereas the subsequent stages carry us along with a force all of their own and leave us no way back. So once you do certain things that were in your control, it's no longer in your control. He tells us that, here's a great example, people who have jumped off a cliff retain no independent judgment and cannot offer resistance or slow the descent of their bodies in free fall. That irrevocable leap strips away all deliberation and regret. You, you jump off the cliff, you're going down, right? You, I mean, if you don't have like an antidote, you inject yourself with a poison, ah, you're going to die. 
you, you've chosen it. You could be like, oops, I shouldn't have done that, but now it's too late, right? So anger, he's saying, is like that just as much as is love and other passions. So he says, once the mind has submitted, right? Once it is given into a passion, the mind is essentially taken over by that passion. And that passion is running the show. It's not allowed, as he says, to check its onrush, its own weight, and the downward tending nature of vices must carry it along and drive it down into the depths. And the Stoics do think of the various passions, not all emotions, but many of the emotions as being vicious. So they're going to drag you down. Now he's got some other considerations just a little bit later in the text. He says that anger doesn't actually have anything useful about it, and it doesn't actually stir the mind to warlike deeds the way that people who are claiming we need it pretend that it does. Now, the argument that he's going to give here doesn't really combat that second part. Anger could, in fact, stir the mind to warlike deeds. It's just not doing it in a good way, as he'll say later on. But there is a very important consideration here. He tells us that virtue shouldn't be assisted by vice. It doesn't make sense for virtue to be helped out by vice any more than it would, and this is not his analogy, but just my own, as it would to protect your house, you need to bring in a robber. You know, you some, oh, a thief is a good person to set up your security system. No, they're not. <laughs> they're going to come in and rob you because they know the codes to your security system. You know, this is a terrible logic. You don't need vice to help out virtue. Why? Because virtue is sufficient in itself. You could go on a little bit further and say, if you think you have virtue, but you need vice to support it, you don't actually have any virtue. You're mistaken about that. And he goes on and he says, where there's need of aggressive action, virtue doesn't grow angry but virtue stirs you up. If you have a properly functioning practical reason, if you have developed virtue, namely that of courage, you will not need anger in order to stir you to do the right thing, to take on dangers, to take aggressive action if needed. And like he says, it's stirred only so much as it reckons necessary and then it grows calm. Just as missiles let fly by catapults are in the control of the artilleryman who calibrate the catapult's torque. Once you shoot the missile, you don't need to be like, you know, getting ready to shoot the same thing again. You've already, you just let it go. You've done the action. Now you can be calm. If you shouted at somebody, you don't need to keep on shouting at them. And he goes on and he tells us that Aristotle says anger is necessary, nor can any struggle be carried to victory without it. It must be employed as a foot soldier, not the general. And then Seneca says, well, that's actually wrong. Here's why. If it listens to reason and follow where reason leads, it's no longer anger which has defiance as its defining trait. But if it fights against reason, it is not still when ordered and is carried forward by ferocious desire. It's as useless as the mind servant as a soldier who ignores the signal for retreat. You want reason to be running the show. If anger does, in fact, listen to reason, it's no longer anger. It's something else that we're dealing with because 
is anger in its very nature is not subject to reason. It will take over instead. And he's got this great line. He says that the passions are just as bad as soldiers as they are as generals. Why? Because a useful soldier will know how to act in accordance with the strategy. Where does the strategy come from? It doesn't come from anger. I mean, bad strategies could come from anger. Go storm that hill. You know, don't worry about the machine guns. Uh, Not a good strategy, right? Let's wait until we do the artillery bombardment and then we'll go storm the hill. That's a little bit more reasonable, you know? So we'll sit around and wait, even though you want to go attack right away. You know, your buddy just got shot. You want to revenge them. Let's wait for the artillery to happen, and then we'll go brave this danger. So Seneca is saying this metaphor of soldiers and generals, I mean, if you really apply it, anger is a bad general. It's also a bad soldier. It doesn't obey the orders that it should be. And he goes on a little bit further, and he's got a conclusion here. Reason will never add imprudent, right? Improvidos, so not thinking things through, and violent, violentes, impulses, impetus to its armory or to its, its resources, you could say. Over these, reason has no authority, could never restrain them without setting similar counter impulses against them. And he, he gives an example about how we could take the passions and try to orient them against each other. So fear against anger, he says, anger against sluggishness, desire against fear. But if we do that, we're really just sort of like coordinating the passions. And this is not very helpful at all. We, you know, it's sort of like saying, well, you know, the ship is leaning over this way. Let's set some depth charges to knock it back this way. No, let's just like actually calibrate things properly, maybe move some of the cargo. And now the ship steers itself properly. So reason really shouldn't rely on anger, nor should virtue as an ally, as a resource, as even a foot soldier, if we want to use that metaphor, according to Seneca, because when you do that, you're inevitably going to screw things up within yourself. Whatever virtue you have is going to be lost. Rationality, reason is not going to be properly functioning. So we don't want to rely on anger as an ally. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.